Let's talk about the future of news. I want you all to know that we are fighting the fake news. The state of journalism today. Telling both sides of a, of a controversial story. I think we must be unbiased. It's uh, honesty, fairness, uh, truth. That is our job. That is our job. That is our job. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the second live podcast. Nice to see some veterans in the audience here. Breeder was here last night, as was Sean, and we have a few new faces around there as well. Uh, my name is Philip O'Connor. It's great to put uh, some faces to the names of uh, people that you see on social media. Uh, thank you very much for the support that you've been giving me and the podcast and the Patreon and everything else like that. But enough about that, because uh, we have a fascinating woman here to talk to this evening. Um, a person that I remember talking to about parental leave was I was standing in a former East German town uh, I was supposed to be commentating on some race and the uh, deal with Wicker Machine who's sitting here to my left called me up and she said can you just tell me about all that time you spent at home. Uh, Dill had a program called Global Village and I went on the program and I talked about parental leave. Now I've done this before in the UK where I've been on ITV talking about parental leave. The fact that I spent 10 months at home with my children on 80% of a Reuters salary as it was at the time and the amount of hate mail I got was incredible. But not from your listeners. <laughs> you get a lot of people who object to these things. And yeah, we'll go into hate that. Hate mail, like. hate You mail. get a lot of people who don't like that kind but of thing. But wanted to spend time with your children. There you go. Paid and that kind of thing. You should be out at work, that kind of thing. You were making the other dads look bad. That's, that's what happened. That's, I, I tend to do that yeah. right now. I don't uh, Dil, to get to your own story, because that's what we're here to listen to this evening. Uh, you were born in Rome to parents from Sri Lanka. You're gay. You have two children. How on earth did you have your own show on News Talk? Oh, um, okay. <laughs> right, all right. <laughs> Let's get straight into it. Um, I, when I first came to, okay, go back to Sri Lanka, okay? Because yes. I, was, I was in Sri Lanka from the age of 12 to 19, and I remember my first job was in Sri Lankan radio. And uh, a girl I was dating at the time kind of introduced me to the world of radio, and I found myself presenting a program in Sri Lanka, and I absolutely loved it. And I thought, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. But of course, then I. Then I was like, oh no, hang on, I, I want to be myself. I want to, you know, be open about my sexuality. And mm -hmm. six months later, I got fired. Uh, because in Sri Lanka, uh, they're yet to decriminalize homosexuality. So this, we are to, I'm talking about back in 1993. Mm. So, so at least they might be a little bit more liberal now, but back then they were absolutely, uh, they did, the, the thought of having an openly gay woman on Sri Lankan radio was just completely unheard of. So I shelved that the dream and I uh, managed to get a job as a flight attendant um, and then five years later I landed in Ireland and I'd forgotten about my dream to work in media. So I, like most migrants, I started working in catering, uh, hospitality, then worked in recruitment and it was around 2006 when I had my big mental health breakthrough uh, when I, I was actually sitting opposite a psychotherapist when I realized, hang on a second, I somehow my life took a wrong turn. Because mm. um, how did I go from working, wanting to work in media to actually being a recruitment consultant and pushing people into jobs that they hated, you know? <laughs> uh, uh, no offense to any recruitment consultants <laughs> listening to this, you know? If you're enjoying it, good for you. Uh, yeah, I'm sure there's good recruitment consultants out there as well. Um, so, so this was back in 2008. 2007, 2008, and I, um, I thought, you know, I, I wanted to kind of reclaim that the dream of working mm. in media. So I started volunteering for a radio station in Blanchestown called yeah. Phoenix FM. And incidentally, my son is named Phoenix. I don't know whether that was for some reason, I don't know what <laughs> happened. But anyway, so, um, so for two years, solid, 
I went in and I presented and produced my own program called New Horizons, and it was about migrants because it was Dublin 15 um, mm. was you know a huge migrant population, and they said they wanted to be representative of the Dublin 15 residents and how how you know. Um, thoughtful of them because they were quite right. Uh, so I did that, never thinking that this was going to go anywhere else. And then suddenly I got a call in 2008 from Newstalk saying that they were auditioning um, migrant uh, presenters for a program that they wanted to, to, to launch, which was going to be pretty much rep to, to represent the, the growing, ever-growing migrant population of Ireland. So I went in and and there was a room full of about 20 migrant journalists. They were all way more qualified than I was. Uh, they all had like masters in journalism. Mm -hmm. I've never gone to, gone to college. I've only just returned to college uh, six months ago. And I think the only reason I got the job was because I, I kind of pitched the idea of I wanted the program to be approachable. I wanted it to be funny. I cracked a few jokes about my ghee. You know, yep. the whole yeah, that you ha I had them at hello basically. Yeah. You know, um, so so yeah, so they they kind of asked me to come in for a demo and then next thing I was presenting a program mm -hmm. on national radio and it kind of took me a few months to kind of like what how did that happen mm -hmm. you know so that was 2008 and then of course uh, I was there for 10 years what did they do with you because obviously you go in there and they know your background they know that you're not you know um, last night we were here with Margaret E. Ward who has a master's in journalism and that kind of thing there are a lot of very very qualified people out there who often don't get a salary commensurate with mm. their experience and then you come in there fresh right mm. now they saw something that they wanted in you but did they do anything to sort of to educate you to coach you to grow you as a person when you first sat down behind that microphone mm. I was given a great producer mm. uh, John O'Donovan um, but I have to say a lot of it was down to me yeah um, and and the show like as I said initially they wanted it to be a migrant presenting a show about migrant issues and I remember thinking that doesn't sit right with me yeah because if I started only talking about migrant issues you know nobody will listen mm. you know because you, because you're kind of pigeonholing mm. uh, you know migrants don't only care about migrant issues we care about every issue that you know Irish people uh, care about and on top of that we also care care about you know racism and mm -hmm. equal access and all that kind of stuff you know and and I suppose I remembered uh, like a, a, another reason why I want to get into media is because I was sick and tired of and I know Margaret touched on this uh, yesterday uh, watching you know RTE or you know other channels and radio stations and not seeing anyone that remotely represented mm. uh, the various diversities that I bring, that, that are sitting on this chair. Yeah. So the sexuality element, the, the migrant element, um, you know, the fact that I'm a woman, you know, Margaret speaks very, she's very vocal about this, there's still not yeah. enough women there, you know. Um, so, and I felt every time they talked about these issues, they always brought, brought in a talking head yeah. who had absolutely no experience. Mm. And I thought, well, why don't we just ask the person who, okay, we, we want to talk about trans issues, let's ask a trans person. Yeah. We want to talk about people with, uh, people with disabilities and access issues, let's talk to a person with a disability, you know. Mm. So, so I, I, I pitched the idea. So I was presenting a show for the first six months about migrant issues then I went back to uh, to Newstalk and I said um, can we you know open it up yep. and, and just make it more inclusive and talk about social justice and in fairness to to Newstalk they really let me do 
what I wanted to do. Mm. You know, I think like we never, I never got any calls from them about anything I said or didn't say. And they never told me what to talk about, what not to talk about. They literally let me at it, which was, I think, fantastic. Because I, I don't think that would be the experience for, of other uh, journalists and other, you know, uh, media outlets. That, you know, you would literally have management breathing down your neck. You know, I didn't have that. But so they gave me the kind of freedom to kind of, play with the model and then went to social justice and then I something went in my head made me realize hang on we need to talk about mental health yeah. because every single social justice issue that's there is connected to people's mental health yeah. if if we were all living in an equal compassionate inclusive society poof all mental health issues would just disappear because you would be able to do anything you wanted to you know so D does it annoy you that in Ireland, we usually say that Gay Bourne invented sex on the Late Late Show. And it seems that lately, it's Blind Boy has invented talking about mental health. But you were talking about mental... And no offence to Blind Boy, his podcast is absolutely brilliant. Amazing, I love him. It's yeah. fantastic. And More my own, the merrier. Yeah, yeah my yeah. own kids yeah. listen to it. But you were talking about these things 10 years before he was. Uh, do, you, do you ever sort of resent the fact that, as a woman, as a broadcaster, that kind of thing, that sometimes it takes a, a man, even a man with a bag on his head, to say something for the issue to be taken seriously? the bag and said, I love it. No, for me, and I, and I talk about this just from in relation to mental health, there's no such thing as competitors. Mm. And it really gets my goat when you have people working in charities who are calling each other competitors yeah. in the mental health field. Because if you want to completely, you know, address the mental health issues in this country, we need to all work together, mm. private or, or public or, you know, whoever, you know. So, so I'm delighted more people talk about it. But I suppose the one thing, it, it does bug me that apart from mental health, trans issues, you mm. know, like I, like I, I know for, I was one of the first, first people in Ireland to a, you know, be, be in the public eye and be pregnant. Yeah. Uh, I, I actually uh, allowed a, ca a camera to film my home birth. Mm just so we can try and get, just get people to just think about it. I'm not saying go off and have a home birth, yeah. but consider it that there's other options, you know. So I've done a lot of things uh, over the course of my time in Irish media that, that genuinely, if it had been a man who had done it, or even, I've done, I'm not just leaving this to gender, it could just be a white woman. Yeah. It would have been a big deal. So much bigger, yeah. So much bigger, but because I've, I've, like, I'm doing something f um, with the BBC next week, yeah. and this is my kind of dress rehearsal for we'll, it. We'll iron out all the yeah. kinks here, no yeah. matter. <laughs> uh, and so far, how am I doing? Am I doing brilliant, right? brilliant. Yeah, keep great, going. Thanks, thanks. For, <laughs> uh, and, but when I was talking to the BBC researcher, because um, it, it basically it's, it's, a, it's a panel of four women, and it's about feminism and what it's, what it's, uh, what it's like to be a woman in, in, in Ireland, you know? And when she was going through all the things I'd done, and things of awards and all that kind of stuff that I'm not really into. She was like, oh my God, that's incredible. And I'm yeah. like, yeah, but um, yeah, yeah. You well, know. I think that's one of those things that's actually unusual in media as well, because sometimes you get to do stuff that nobody else gets to do. Uh, Connor and I were talking there a little bit earlier on. <clears throat> he was in, uh, in Russia when Sochi was announced as the, the next or the host of the Winter Olympics. And uh, I think it was, was it Connor Brady at the Irish Times. His, his book was, his autobiography was called May You Live in Interesting Times. Mm. And you do so many of these things, but you never stop to think about what it is that you've actually achieved. Mm -hmm. You know, whether it be, you know, the, the journey that you've taken in broadcasting mm -hmm. and now what you're doing these days, for instance, but you never actually stop to think, you don't, you don't look at your CV the way somebody from the BBC would do yeah. it, you know? I suppose for, for me, I, I do take, uh, like I'm hugely grateful because 
if you like you know my story i i am surprised that i'm actually alive mm. and the very fact that not only am i alive but i'm actually a happy content human being i'm i i found uh, an incredible life partner i have two beautiful kids and i love and i do something i love mm. now i didn't think that any of this was possible when i was 17 homeless in sri lanka yeah. with with all my contents in in two cardboard boxes so when i think of that child and how far i've come i i'm very grateful the very fact that i'm here talking to you this mm. is incredible because i know someone is going to listen to my story and go oh wow you know if she can do this maybe i can too you know i you know if, if it's a gay person or if it's a, a migrant person whoever so anyone who's experiencing any form of diver- ad- um, adversity mm. they they can know that you can come through diversity and and be you know better for it on the other side but all you have to do is just hang in there if we go back to marconi house and the time that you were at news talk there uh, you broadcast on a saturday night mm-hmm. right so did you uh, how did you feel when you were in that building? Did you feel that you were there as a box-ticking exercise? Did you feel accepted there? Did you feel empowered in the work that you were doing for News Talk? No. I was going to say, this is a podcast, so she better say no instead yeah. of just shaking her head. No, no. And, like, again, News Talk plucked me out of, you know, a group of people, gave me a free reign mm-hmm. to create this incredible program and a body of work that I'm really, really proud of. Um, and people like you know, nearly two years later, people still come up to me and say, I really loved your show. You know, people I've never met before. And that's incredible. But as far as, you know, did I feel part of the team? No. And that's really because there was a big split between weekday shows and weekend shows. Yep. Okay. So, and then if you're the weekend, if you're a sports show, yay for you. Yep. But I was just talking about social justice and mental health. So the sales team didn't know how to market our mm. show. So on two occasions when, the, when they were going through some cost-cutting uh, kind of measures, they said, look, we might have to cut Global Village because you don't have a sponsor. And I sat down with the sales team on numerous occasions and they, they just didn't understand who could they pitch this show to, even though I gave them a list. Yeah. And in the end, I personally went out and brought in two sponsors for the show that made it stay on air for as long as it did, you know. So, and I always, that was my, my biggest gripe that I felt we were there uh, and we had at one point the highest listenership in the, in, on the weekend schedule. Mm. And yet they didn't quite see just how the potential of the show. Yeah. But again, I never did it for, uh, for any of that. I didn't want any kind of acceptance. I was just happy that I could get people who had never been on media before and then went on because they came on my show. My show was very gentle. I was always like, like yourself, very approachable and, and really interested in the topic. And then when they came on my show, they would then feel a little bit more confident to go on more high profile shows. Mm. And there's people now who are like, you know, really, really um, outspoken. But the first time they ever actually did any media at all, they, they were on my show. Yeah. And I'm, I'm really proud of that because my, I felt my role was... Uh, I suppose the, the 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 person kind of introduced them into the media world and gave them the confidence to go out and spread their wings. So you were the sort of the media midwife for a lot yes, of these sports people coming through. The there. nanny, the the, <laughs> the handholder. Because you know, I feel the media doesn't do that. They literally they want people who are like experienced, they know their stuff, come on in in five minutes, go on ahead, yeah. do your spiel and get out. And get out, yeah. You know. But but that's not fresh content, yeah. you know? It's also kind of annoying as well. I've done things, one of the things recently, I was in Finland looking at homelessness and how they deal with it over there. And I was talking to uh, RTE about it, to the Drive Time program. I don't know if you heard that, but it really was that, you know, we had a sort of set up. It was going to take five minutes. She knew the questions, I knew the answers, and that was pretty much it. And it's grand on that level, but if you want to really 
talk about something in depth. I remember uh, Eamon Dunphy uh, interviewing Colin Tobin, the writer, mm -hmm. when England were due to play Argentina at the World Cup in 1998, and they talked for 25 minutes on the last word about literature. And it's just that kind of thing that's missing, you know, when you have a sort of a soft thing there. There's nothing confrontational in talking to Colin Tobin about literature because he'll wipe the floor with you. But it's that kind of sort of, you know, your programme was that kind of space where you could do these things. You could talk about issues like mental health without it being a minister, without it being about funding, but, you know, being about people's own experiences and that kind of thing. And also it was done sensitively because I remember, uh, and again, I learned from my own experience, I remember being a guest on a Today FM show, I won't mention who the presenter was, mm. and I went in to talk about my experience as a uh, survivor of sexual abuse. Yep. And I actually went in as an ambassador for One in Four, who's an amazing, chari amazing charity that works the, with, the, with, with the victims of sexu sexual abuse. And um, during the interview, the presenter actually, like, I know, when you talk about sexual abuse, it's like really triggering. So mm. you kind of let the person say whatever they want to say and move on. You don't yeah. ask them questions. So I did my bit. It literally usually takes three minutes and then I try to get to the light side, yeah. you know, as opposed to d dwell in the dark uh, element of the story. And then the presenter actually said, oh, hang on a second, I need, I need to bring you back a bit. Can I ask you, was there penetration? That's... This was live on air at like three o'clock in the afternoon. And I was, I was just stunned. So I, can, I can just hear the people in, in the room. I'm so sorry if I've triggered you, but this is the reality of, of uh, some presenters who just don't understand mm. that there's a certain sensitivity when you talk to a victim of uh, mental health issues, depression or sexual abuse. And, and, he, and he wouldn't let it go until I answered. Yeah. And I still had people down to the stage come up, come up to me and say, I heard that interview. I, I, I just, I, I was in the car with the kids and I don't know how you managed to keep it together, you yeah. know. So it's like you, they forget that they think that just the way you, you, you interview a minister and you have to kind of go for the jugular, yeah, yeah. that same uh, kind of model has to apply to a, a person who's experiencing mental health issues. It's incredible. Um, that's sort Is of everybody okay in the room? I'm just checking. Yeah, yeah. We're all good here. We're all good. Yeah. Um, that sort of leads on to how things finished for you at News Talk. Uh, the incident that led to that was a presenter uh, suggesting that women who had been raped could blame themselves in some way, or they were in some way contributing to their own rapes. And you criticised that. It's something that happens very seldom in Irish media, is that people criticise each other publicly. Now, I criticise other colleagues publicly. Uh, I don't say that they're bad you know, fathers to their children or mothers to their children or that they're bad people or that they're going to hell or anything else like that. But if I see something that I don't agree with, if I see something that I think is done wrong, a question like the one that you were asked on the last, or whatever program it was, yes. I'm going to have to say it because I'm trying to do something that makes us all think about what we do and it improves what we're all trying to do here. As well as being sort of sensitive towards people like yourself, whatever side of the microphone that you're on. You stood up and you said, this is not okay. That presenter was suspended but kept his job and you lost yours. Yes. Now, before that event, I think there's a lot of things that happened that made me feel Newstalk and myself were literally like it was becoming a bad relationship. Growing apart. You know, we were growing apart because initially I went in with the view, I was like, this is going to be great and I am going to make a difference and I'm going to try and change the Irish media from the inside. I was trying to educate my colleagues about mental health because after that experience, I was trying to get people to uh, other shows to kind of uh, try and take on a more inclusive approach to, to recruiting guests. And, and then I was also, every every meeting we had, I was like, you know, can we have more women in the, in the schedule? And then I just felt I was, you know, banging my head against the wall. And, and every time somebody, because that presenter and other presenters have said, 
questionable things over the years yeah. and nothing was ever done about it, you know. And, and I really felt, especially after I think uh, my, my, my two kids came into my life, I realized, you know, this is actually affecting my mental health because I felt extremely underappreciated. Uh, undervalued and I think a lot of other people working in, in media would, would feel that way you know being, being on a contract you know yeah. it's not really worth the paper that it's printed on all that kind of stuff you know so but I kept doing it for the love of the work the, the love of getting the message across and then when that happened like it happened on a Friday I was at a, a charity event and somebody came up to me and did you, did you hear what he said I'm like no I'm at a charity event with you how are you, how are you what do you got a receiver in your head or something else? so I on my way home I listened to it and I was like oh my gosh okay let's see how the station is going to handle this before I do anything you know and Monday came and the the presenter the first thing they he said was an apology and I was like it's not enough because mm. this particular individual had said very similar stuff over the years and I felt every time he was going that little bit further a little bit further yeah. and he was just like I, I was triggered as a survivor and I'm sure thousands of other survivors were of sexual violence and abuse were triggered over the years over over the country so I waited till Tuesday to see whether they were going to do anything and then I emailed the station I said I'm really sorry but if you don't take any action I don't feel I can actually share the airwaves with this with this individual and the management came back saying, I completely understand, Dil. You know, you have your integrity and we too full, fully support you. But, you know, we are in the process of doing, you know, uh, of investigating mm. the, the matter. I said, great, okay. Then Wednesday came, Thursday came, still nothing happened. He was still on air. Mm. Then, you know, the advertisers are pulling out. Mm. Guests were walking off on air. You know, I was like, surely they can't, they have to do something. So yeah. on Thursday, I actually emailed the station. I said, look... Um, I, I'm, I'm meant to be on, on, on air on Saturday. I'm sorry, I, I can't go on. And uh, but I have to issue a statement. And they're like, totally support you, Dil. Go ahead, make, make a statement. Um, and that was it. So I didn't do anything. There was no kind of. Like some people were saying oh, I was looking for uh, for for publicity. Mm. Uh, it was a big stunt. And I was like, no, I was talking to the management all the time. They knew what I was doing, and they said they fully supported. I have emails to 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 to, to support all this, you know. And then of course, when the statement came out. Uh, that went, I think the statement came out of Thursday night and then Friday morning he was suspended. Mm. And I was like, great. So now he's suspended. I stayed off air and I went back the following week. And I thought, this is hopefully, this is an opportunity for, for Newstock to kind of take a, a good look at itself mm. because everyone knew about the lack of female voices. You know, no matter how much people from like the women on air would have said it, mm. you know, I would have said it from the inside. You know, so many other people would have would have said it. Not just news talk media in general. I thought maybe this is a this is a really good opportunity for the, for the station kind of almost launch uh, and rebrand, you know, yeah. and and kind of make a good thing out of a out of an absolute disaster, you know. And I really hoped that the individual would have been office taken off air, maybe educated and then brought back because a lot of people agreed with him. Yeah, and that was really frightening. And I thought. If he comes back on air and he's able to say, here chaps, that was a mistake on my part. I, there was outdated views. Uh, and that would have been an amazing, uh, I suppose, uh, opportunity just to educate, mm. just to raise the awareness of, of this country. And of course, that didn't happen. Because uh, a week later, I, I went on air, I did present my show, everything was fine. And then a week later, so two weeks after the event, I was called in for a meeting and I was told, that's it, your show has been cancelled. And that hit me like a truck. 
because I just did not expect it. Because remember, I had been emailing them. Mm-hmm. They knew that I was doing what I did. And now in hindsight, I think what happened was they were okay with me criticizing the individual, mm-hmm. but they were just not okay with me criticizing the establishment. The station too. Yeah. yeah. Because I felt I had to do that because I know, and this is why it's, it's nothing personal. If I see the, the presenter, I would be very happy to speak to him, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and I think he, in some way, he thought that he was he, he was maybe uh, doing a service because he was probably articulating what some people think, yeah. right? But I think the platform, the actual station itself, has a greater responsibility, mm-hmm. and they should have never allowed that to happen. Mm-hmm. And and that's what 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 I think they couldn't quite cope with the fact that they had Munir for ten years, um, and then suddenly I kind of they probably thought I turned on them and yeah. there's probably hurt and ego and pride and all that, you know, and, and it's just so, so upsetting for me because it's not just the fact that they took me off air that I can completely deal with because I'm much happier now. I've, I've, I suppose I've, I, I, I can talk about it in a minute where, what I'm doing now, but what really upsets me is that they, they, they stopped the show. They stopped this tiny little corner in Irish media that was actually for the people who don't get a look in. Mm. So for the trans people, for people, uh, breeders here, for people with HIV, um, you know, travelers, and, and you know, people, they, they would come themselves and they would tell their story. I never um, relied on talking heads to come in and tell the story on their behalf because then the, the listener is not getting the full story, mm. you know? And that was so empowering and it was so hopeful that, um, that there was a space like that. But now that space is no longer there. There's nothing, like right now, there's nothing in Irish media that anywhere, uh, any way resembles that, that tiny little corner that was there. How did you feel in the couple of days after that meeting? Because this came out of the blue. You thought that, well, they're, they're listening to me. They may not agree with me, but at mm-hmm. least they're listening to me. And then all of a sudden the show was gone. And with the show being gone, you had a source of income that was gone. You had something that you'd build up over 10 years that was gone. There's just... There's a precipice. How did you deal with that when, when it happened? Well, w- one thing I didn't mention, one of the main reasons why I did it um, was my, my daughter was one month old. Uh, Xavier, so Phoenix is three and a half, mm. and Xavier was born in August, and this happened in September. And I remember holding her in my arms over that weekend, looking at her piercing blue eyes and thinking, I, ca- I can't let this happen. I can't just be a bystander mm. and let this just blow over. You know, because a lot of people could have done that. Um, but I thought, no, I, I have to be able to look at myself in the mirror and I have to be able to look at my daughter and say I did the right thing. Mm. So I, I, I took it really like my mental health was like, you know, I'm, I'm used to mental health dips, but I took a huge dip because my wife was on maternity leave, you know, so, so we're two young children. And even though Newstalk was a small part of my life at that stage, it was only really Saturday a couple of hours, uh, maybe maybe one day's work a week, and my my main work is uh, working in Inside Matters, the mental health practice that Amory and I set up. But like it was, it's a huge, it was a huge part of my identity. People know me as a journalist and a, and a broadcaster, a social, uh, you know, justice activist in the media. You know, mm. so so suddenly that was taken away, and it's one thing a person deciding, you know, I've had enough of this, I'm going to move on and do something else. To actually, you know being told no that's it mm. you're, you're gone and and in those circumstances because for, for me what i keep thinking is what is the message that this has sent to 
not just the journalists that are working now, but the future generation of journalists. Because here's a woman who spoke up uh, when she saw something that was wrong and the whole hashtag Me Too, you know, movement in, in the world. And then instead of people saying, you know, well done, you know, let's, let's use this as an opportunity to, to, you know, change the system and, and, and create a more kind of a, a compassionate uh, workplace and media industry. No, let's just get rid of her hmm. and let's just continue uh, you know, as if nothing ha had happened. So, that, so people, so other like journalists like yourself, you know, you're going to be thinking, can I do this? You know, if, you, if you're working in the establishment, I need, to, I need to keep my head down mm. and not, um, not criticize the establishment. God, God knows if I do, I could lose my job. And if they can do that to a migrant lesbian, you know, with 16 diversities, yeah. you know, surely they can do it to a regular white guy, you know? Yeah. Uh, well, that's the thing. I kind of made a conscious choice that if I see these things, I'm going to have to call them. And right. I know that it does cost me. I know that there are certain doors in this city that aren't open to me anymore and certain newspapers and certain broadcasters. And I'm okay with that because it doesn't have a huge economic effect on me. But I can understand for people that it might be their only source of income or they might be, you know, it's like politics, you know, it's very, very small. And if you piss off the right 20 people, you're never going to work yeah. in this again. Yeah. If and that's you, exactly what's happened. Yeah, that's, that, that's the one thing. I was going to ask you two yeah. questions, right? One is, if you had the whole situation over again, would you do anything different? No, I mean, I did everything. I, I, like as a... A team player, you know, I I let the management know what I was doing. Yeah. Um, I think the I think the one thing they could have done better was they could have looked at my statement <laughs> before I put it out. I mean, I think I still think about it. How did they not think about asking me what the statement was before it was sent out? So they didn't look at that no, at all before. They we didn't. Did. No, they didn't. They just said, "Yeah, go ahead." Yeah. I mean, I, I just think maybe they didn't think I was going to do it, or they just. I, it's just bizarre because I remember at that time there was about, and this was talked about in, in the media, how there was a few members in, in Newstalk who, who decided to write a letter. Yeah, you know, internally, yeah. Internally. And then somebody from management came down and said, don't do anything because we are handling it. Yeah. You know, but nobody had that conversation with me, you know, yeah. and said, no, please, please don't do anything. Just give us till Friday or whatever, you know. They just said, yeah, go ahead and do, do whatever you want to do. And I suppose... In hindsight, that's what they should have done. Mm. Um, but from my side, I, I did everything. I, I, I feel very, I have, I have no regrets what I did, how I did it, uh, and, and that's it, you know. But, uh, but again, I still, like nearly, nearly two years after the event, I'm like, what? Mm. How, how, did, how did that actually happen? How, and like, it's like, they didn't even wait for three months or four months, like, you know, they could have waited an extra few months for people to kind of put the doubt in people's minds. Mm. Did they let her go because of other reasons? Yeah. But they did it literally two weeks afterwards. And I didn't have to say anything. Everyone in Irish media knew, yeah, she was let go because of her speaking yeah. out. Like, there was a real kind of, yeah, so what? In, in politics, people talk about the optics of doing certain things and how they look. Yeah. And boy, Jesus, the optics of that were the worst I've ever seen. And they got away with it. And the BAI... Uh, I think a few months later, mm. actually ruled uh, some, I think it's the National uh, Women's Council or somebody actually made a complaint about the comments and the BAI report said those comments were, shouldn't have been made. Yeah. And the delay in, the, in a swift action yeah. by the station, the word they used was ameliorated. Yeah. Like they made the made situation worse. worse. Yeah. So everything I had done and said like, was pretty much... Uh, you know, uh, backed up by the BAI, the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland, and still nothing's happened. But so, so that's just one piece, right? Mm. And then I thought, okay, so surely I have like 
I don't know, 30, 50,000 people who are listening to the show. So there's a, there's a brand, a 10-year-old ten, a brand. I said, surely at this stage, I can go and maybe join another station. Yeah. Maybe RTE, you know, yeah. that our national broadcaster that should be uh, re for yeah, ideas, representing yeah. all the, the, the diversity in Ireland. Um, they wouldn't even reply to my emails. And, and that, that for me is like, I just can't understand how, why, yeah. yeah. No, I mean, I'd love to sit here and say that I was surprised by that, yeah. but knowing the way that uh, RT works yeah. and the fact that, you know, I think they're also subject to freedom of information as well. So anybody who, if they send you anything, then uh, people like me can go and find those chains of emails yeah. and that kind of thing. So they literally don't want to say anything. They don't want to be seen to be saying anything. Yeah. They just, it's better to just ignore it and have yeah. it go away. Yeah. Do you miss the show? I miss, I guess it's funny because I was thinking about coming here today and um, and the fact that I'm training to be a psychotherapist at the moment, my emotions are like up here, my dead right, literally mm -hmm. here, you know, my, my skin is like, 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 like paper, you know, everything is just so sensitive because when you're training, you have to pretty much uh, take yourself, table. yeah, and yeah. take yourself apart, you know, mm -hmm. and put yourself back together and it's uh, like, absolutely, it's like, you know, I think about it, it's like Global Village my was my firstborn, you know, and I fought for that show. Uh, so many times when they were literally axing show after show, people were literally told as they came off air, that's it, that's your last show, get out. You know, mm. it was like quite brutal. I still got out there and I, and I got sponsors and I got, you know, like, yes, I had a producer. But ultimately, I can say nine times out of ten, the, the topics, the guests that came in were all, you know, people that I chased, you know, people, the ideas that I had, you know. So absolutely, I miss it, and and I and I miss the fact that because I, I suppose I had this thought in my head: if I get into Irish media, I'm going to make it that little bit easier for other people who are going to come behind me. Yeah, you know, and like I really felt this sense of hope. Okay, if I if I can make it in, some other people will follow me. But I've I've like with the way that happened, and I, there's 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 no nobody else. There's just like. You know, there's maybe one one journalist who works for RT who's of Nigerian descent. Zainab, yes. Yeah, Zainab. But yeah, but she, but she's not really talking about social justice and you know. Like, she, she does children's news. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, come on in, but don't be too vocal. Yeah. You know, and and like and now when I think back as well, there's maybe another reason why they had my show on 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 the program. Like now, only now I realize. Because they had the migrant lesbian on on the schedule, they could actually say a lot of the stuff yeah. and get away with it. Because somebody actually complained, oh, hang on a second, you can't be saying that. Oh, don't say that to us. We have so-and-so and look at her. Like, you know, she's, we have balance. Yeah, we have balance <laughs> on a Saturday at 7 o'clock in the evening. <laughs> like, everyone is, cares about social justice and mental health at that time of day, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it's, just, it's very disheartening. And, and again, I think about, you know, I, I speak about my cousin, Richard de Soisa. Like one of the reasons why I wanted to get into media is because my cousin was, is a very well-known uh, Sri Lankan journalist. Mm -hmm. And he was the first, in fact, his death anniversary was 25, uh, was, his 25th death anniversary was about uh, a month ago. He was the first Sri Lankan journalist to die because of his journalistic integrity. Mm -hmm. he, he, he spoke out against the Sri Lankan government because there was a huge genocide and discrimination and horrendous stuff happening and he was abducted by the death police uh, and he was he was tortured and murdered and still 25 years later they still you know commemorate his death mm -hmm. and they remember this man had incredible journalistic integrity and that's why I became a journalist and I, I, I think you know 
do we really live in a democracy in, mm. in Ireland? Because you, we are not really open to, to, to speak our mind. Because when we do speak our mind, this is what happens. And my worry is, okay, you have people like Richard who, who, who died because of journalistic integrity. And in Ireland, people are worried about losing their job. Mm. I mean, like really, we need to kind of, journalists have the power to actually change Ireland. You know, it, all these, like you, you mentioned homelessness. Come on. Mm. It's just getting worse and worse and worse. And, and, and it, it's really difficult now when I look at like, the establishment, really, the media in the industry, is like, you know, propped up by banks, you know, mm. the advertising, you know. So you can't really say too much about homelessness because after all, it's the banks who are, mm. you know, um, you know uh, evicting people from their homes and all that, you know. Mm. So, so it, it's just too cozy, you know. Some journalists are, are too afraid to speak against uh, politicians or too afraid to actually speak against their own uh, you know company. colleagues and yeah, yeah. And their own colleagues mm. and it's all going down the sensationalist route let's mm. let's let's pick on the migrants let's say some horrible thing about Elika Siombe who you know uh, uh, a, a, a person of direct provision yeah, yeah who's, who's actually has the guts to 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 yeah, no, try and be elected as a local councillor, mm. you know, that's amazing. And her status as somebody who sought asylum means that she's not allowed to comment on her own case publicly, which mm. is mm. amazing. But uh, when you look at Irish media, and when you start a global village, you started it because you didn't see yourself reflected in the media. You didn't see your experience reflected yeah. in the media. Yeah. What do you see when you look at Irish media now? I don't see in Irish media. I don't, I, I, I can't, because I, I try, when I dip in, mm. I just feel, Oh, it hasn't changed a bit. Yeah, it hasn't changed a bit, and that that is just so worrying for me, mm. because we're supposed to be moving forward. Like one in five people is meant to, is is a migrant. You know, there's like as I said, I work in mental health, and I see every day people of minority groups coming to us for you know for mental health support because they're in bits. You know, because they either been discriminated against or because you know young people can't feel they can't come out. Mm. Trans people feel that they can't. Trans kids feel that they can't. Um, transition before they they hit puberty because the parents are not are not supporting them you know all this is connected by how we as a, as media you know journalists and and editors and whatnot how we represent these right. issues and at the moment we're doing a huge disservice mm -hmm. you know a huge disservice to to people who uh, who who are practically voiceless mm. you know so so it, it's like it, it could be so much it, like it doesn't have, it's not as, it's not rocket science. Yeah. It's really not rocket science, but it's, it's I think people feel, like as I said, Global Village was one of the most listened to shows o over the weekend. But people think, keep thinking, no, we need to go with the sensationalist. Yeah. You know, we need to be, you know, with the ri rise of the right, you know, so yeah. that, you know, yellow vests and all that kind of stuff. But it's not all that because there's a lot of people who are, who are living in Ireland don't subscribe to those yeah. views. And I think ultimately, uh, like if you're going to have balance, have proper balance, yeah. not not um, token kind or, of stuff. Or this false conflict that's yeah. generated. Kind yeah, of thing, yeah. yeah because it, it, that's the other thing. I remember like when I was presenting Global Village before the marriage equal equality, and because like I'm 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 so glad that I was able to play m a part with the with the marriage referendum and of course the the abortion referendum. You know, so um, but we never had that. Okay, let's bring the two sides and put them in one room yeah. and let them kill it, kill themselves, kill, mm -hmm. kill each other, you know. And uh, what what I normally did was like, like even with the marriage friend of which, come on, I was a lesbian, lesbian, yeah. pregnant, 
you know, uh, it was really hard not to be biased, you know. But even I was like, okay, we need to cover this issue. Bring on the Iona Institute twice. I brought the Iona Institute on Global Village twice. And they actually commented afterwards that was the first interview that they ever, ever had where they didn't feel they were on the back foot. Yeah. I th that's the greatest compliment that I ever received and I was able to do that as a journalist. But we did it where we brought on, first we had Moninia Griffith who was the head of the, the marriage equality you know, yes campaign. Yep. I talked to her for 30 minutes and then he said, okay, thank you very much. And then we spent 30 minutes talking to the chair of the own institute. So we didn't put them head to head. No. You know, so we, people could actually listen to the... Just the, you know, go listen to the reasoning. I, I suppose listen to the nuances of the arguments uh, without having like a catfight, yeah. you know. And like, I, like I remember at the, at the time, like obviously I was I was being triggered because this is I felt this was my life that people were debating. But I can just imagine who wants to hear people shouting at each other. Yeah, you know, like you can feel the agitation just rising yeah. when you're feeling someone is trying to get their point across and then somebody interrupts them and then it's like yeah, yeah. I've kind of given up on taking part in all those programs now because it's just I just did it once too often you go you know what nobody's getting anything out of this talk about mental health it. yeah yeah exactly yeah I, I want to get onto that subject now because uh, you left the media when RTE uh, decided not to <laughs> reply to your emails and that kind of thing so you went back to what we call the family business that yourself yeah. and Anne-Marie have started can yeah. you just tell me a little bit about that and what you're doing yeah so the Inside Matters actually came about about nine years ago when Anne-Marie and I both when we met, we, we had a shared experience of when we went looking for therapy, we, um, we found it very difficult to find a therapist that was a, affordable and also kind of understood the various experiences that we had. You know, there was just too much diversity uh, that we, we, both of us were bringing. Um, and now that I'm actually training, I can see most therapists out there don't have the, 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 the skills yeah, the to actually work with sexuality or, you know, migrant mental health and so forth you know so so she was qualifying as a psychotherapist at the time so we said look why don't we set up a small practice and see how it goes that was nine years ago and now we have 55 therapists working with us we have two centers one in Mountjoy square and one in capel street and we support the mental health of over 400 clients a week mm. so so when the new stock thing happened and i, I think it happened i suppose maybe everything happens for a reason I, or maybe when life throws you lemons you make lemonade mm. i was like okay let me give insight matters my full focus yeah. and and then i spent that whole year whole of last year to kind of figure out what i want to do you know emailing the likes of rt hello i'm here still here you know and then at one point i was like you know what i am I, I understand and the joke is i'm married to a psychotherapist i work with 55 psychotherapists you know if i can't beat them you know <laughs> i might as well join them so i went back to college uh, for the first time in my life uh, last september uh, and and my plan is now obviously it's a four-year uh, course in uh, DBS and and my plan is to work in inside matters and be a, uh, like it, it's really exciting to me to be able to like I know with Global Village and my work as an activist uh, with various referendums and whatnot I was able to kind of help maybe shape this yeah. island that we live in in some way you know but it's really exciting to me now to actually be able to sit in front of the individual yeah because like Inside Matters is inspiring change in self and society. If we can actually help one individual transform their life, and that's what the process of counseling psychotherapy does. Like they, it, it did it to me. Like I went in absolutely miserable, suicidal, working as a recruitment consultant, and I realized, oh my gosh, I took the wrong turn. You yeah. know, I need to slowly make my way back to 
my, my authentic life, you know. And that was so incredible for me. And now I can't wait to be able to facilitate that for other people, mm. you know. So that, that for me is really exciting because um, I suppose the, the work in media is, is great, but you're doing it at such a high level, you don't really see in your own eye, from your, with your own eyes, the transformation that happens in a person's life. Yeah. But here, to imagine having front row seat in front of a person who comes into you with whatever, whatever issue and has no idea what's behind it, you know, what happened 20, 30, 40 years ago uh, that brought them to this place and then slowly see that realization. Because you, as a therapist, you can't tell them, well, listen, this is what you need to do. If you do this, you know, A, it gets you to, from A to B, you know. Yeah. You just have to sit and listen to them talking and then slowly see the penny drop mm. and then see them realize, oh, okay, I need to now slowly do this. And that's incredible. What would it take to bring you back to the media? Would it take Ryan Torbidi's seat on the Late Late Show, the reopening of the Global Village? No, for, I, it, it's funny because um, I, like, so I, I went to a point where I was like, no, that's it, I'll never work in media again. And uh, kind of like, a, you know, when you're, it's like, it's like a, a scorn lover, you know, it's like, yeah. that's it. Yeah. I've had enough, I'm, I'm never going to see you again. And, and I'm, I'm, you know, we're, we're really, really broken up. What's that song by Taylor Swift? Yeah, I will never, never, some, I, can't, I can't think of the song, but yeah. Um, we'll, never, we'll never get back together again. That's yeah. the song, yeah. Um, but then, like, I, I have a podcast and I still enjoy working as a journalist and, and having these conversations. Like, I, I'm, I'm having a great buzz talking to you, Philip. Um, maybe I just need that time. Maybe I'm in a place right now where I'm kind of figuring myself out. You know, I'm, I'm obviously huge self-awareness. And, like, I know I'm going to emerge out of this kind of course um, stronger and better and mm. even have a like a deeper insight into myself and mm. that's only going to make me a better journalist mm. you know so uh, because I knew I had an awareness when I was doing Global Village but just just in the last six months my awareness has just skyrocketed yeah so can you can imagine what I'll be in three years time so yeah. who knows maybe that will just this is all you know it's like Steve Jobs said you know you have no idea what the hell you're doing at the time yep. until you you are down the road and you look back. Yeah. So so hopefully in three years time I'm going to look back and say this was exactly what I was meant to do because if I hadn't done that and been through all yep. these shitty stuff I wouldn't be you know in this amazing place and not to say that I'm not in an amazing place now mm. because for God's sake I've got two amazing kids and a hot wife. I mean yep. what what else <laughs> what else does a, does, does a woman want you know. Um, She's going to so kill me when she hears this. <laughs> She's the first person getting the link with this guy. I can tell you. How are you, Anne-Marie? Have a lonely podcast for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um, everybody's Googling. What does she look like? What does she look like? Um, yeah. So I'm, so I'm very happy where I am, but I just have this kind of sneaky suspicion that it's just going to bring me into, like, because I've, I've, I feel my life has been on an upward trajectory, mm. you know? So yes, there's been dips. But then every time there's a dip, there's an incredible high, you know. Yeah. Um, like I, I, I still remember the marriage referendum. This is when I'm going to cry because I still remember that week of the marriage referendum. I was pregnant and Phoenix was, was meant to arrive on the 1st of June. Mm. And, uh, you know, he was born actually on the Sunday at home. And our first outing as a family 
was to the polling station mm. on the 22nd of May. And I remember being in this polling station, which was inside a church. Obviously. <laughs> on the Navan Road, you know, with this newborn child walking into this polling station. People looking up and looking at Amory and looking at, obviously, we look like two disheveled, you know, new parents mm. with this newborn. And they're just, they burst into tears. You know, so I, I just feel so grateful for all these experiences I've had. And I just know that I'm very hopeful for what the future has. And yes, I've had dark times, but sure, that's what life is about. Mm. But there's no darkness without light. There's no lightness without darkness, mm. you know. So, yeah, DIL stands for darkness into light, you know. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Have we any questions from the audience? I'm going to turn up the microphone of truth here now so we can uh, hear them. Has anybody any questions out there for DIL? So, as a consumer, how could we affect change? Um, to get more balance. Wow. Um, well, you saw what happened with the whole uh, new stock debacle. You had Delata Hotels. You yep. know, they they pulled out. You know, and and it was really interesting because I actually chaired an event for Delata Hotels um, around diversity in the workplace. It was called like Open Doors um, yep. event, and it's like like a group of. Uh, companies coming together to try and create a more diverse uh, workplace. And when I was talking to the, like, I think this was the CEO of the latter hotels, he was saying that nobody knew about the brand, the latter hotel, until they pulled out, out of new stock. <laughs> you know, and they were like, we had no idea. We just went with our gut because we felt, you know, this was just not right. We just pulled out. And then suddenly they were getting all these emails and, and people were, you, you know, wanting to come to their hotels because they felt, oh, wow, there's a business who actually cares who actually has a heart and it's not just all about you know business 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 and profit 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 you know so so consumers have a huge um, huge power um when, when it comes to these issues so you know and i think in in the world that we live in now consumers are even more tuned into like you know palm oil you know there's people who actually stopped you know eating all sorts of um spreads because there's palm oil in it you know so people now are realizing we need to change that you know yeah like, i i just i was I recently turned vegetarian and now I, everywhere I go, because I remember 20 years ago when I came to Ireland, uh, I worked in the Hilton Hotel on Charliman Street, and they didn't know what a vegan was. was. <laughs> yeah, that was 20 years ago. But now you can go into any restaurant, yep. go into any supermarket, and you will find you know, options for vegetarians or vegans. You know? so, so consumers have, ultimately, you hold the power, but don't for a minute think, oh, what's the point? Because that's the, the fear. That's the fear that I had with my experiences. Like with, after I got let go, People might think, oh, what's the point doing anything about it? Because see what happened to Dill, you know? And yeah. I'm like, I'm still here, you know? I'm still, I'm still fighting. I'm still, I'm still finding my way of contributing to, to Irish society. And I'm not going to give up. So as a consumer, anyone listening to this, if you feel strongly about something, go, go out and do it. Because if you don't, someone else might not. Yeah. There's a, a lot of complaints on social media and that kind of thing. I think it was last week on the Late Late Show, they had an exorcist on, you know? And between, between them and, you know, astrologers, that kind of thing, there's a lot of things I just don't see a place for in media as such, you know? And I go, okay, but there is no point in complaining to the producers because they just don't care. You know, the, as long as you're watching prime time or whatever it is, they're going to put those guys on there for the cat fights and that kind of thing. And it is, you know, we go back to the Roman Empire and bread and circuses and it's entertainment, mm. you know? Is that Katie Hopkins? Yeah. In that time, in, uh, I can't remember what the show was, uh, Lucy Kennedy was li yep. living with Lucy Kennedy and yeah. she, she did the whole thing with Katie Hopkins. I was like, what? Why? Uh, why? Yeah. You know, exactly. And, and why do people listen? And the whole thing about Peter Casey. Yeah. Again, it's like, 
it's oxygen. It's yeah. like, don't tune in. And I know people who actually tuned in just to see that Katie Hopkins or just to hear what Peter Case is. It's like, and then you're complaining about it. Yeah. Don't. Don't just tell them, tell the advertisers, yeah. you know, that kind of thing, because that does seem to work. Yeah, it does. It does actually work. And Ireland is small enough. And this is, again, one of the reasons why I got, before I got into media, I became an activist. Ireland is actually small enough that you can influence change. When mm. you actually speak, people in Ireland listen. Mm. And this is very different to places like Sri Lanka or in the Middle East that I lived in. You know, yeah. you can talk all you like and if people don't want to listen to you they, they just won't but yeah. in Ireland people will say no matter how out there you might be if you're persistent enough people will be like okay you see, you seem to have a point you seem to care about this a lot yeah. and I think you seem like a nice person yeah. tell me again what what's that you know so you can uh, affect change they'll hear you out have we any more questions I think I have one last like as a minority of any sort do you feel like you either have to be like an inspiration or people feel sorry for you do you feel like at some point you can just be yourself or do you just have to represent whatever minority you have at all times if you're something? That's so funny. <laughs> um, yeah, it's so true. It's so true. And um, it's like I would think a million times before, uh, like for example, um, if, if I'm driving and somebody cuts into me, you know, yeah. your first reaction would be like, roll down the window, like, yeah. you idiot, you know, can't do that. Nope. I can't do that because I know people are going to be looking and saying, look, that migrant, look, yeah. look. Well, they're so, so uncivilized and how yeah. uneducated and how... Go back know, to wherever. Go back to where you came from because yeah. that, I, these are things, unfortunately, and, and again, it, with my personal therapy that I'm doing, it's like constantly you feel... And, and it's like, you know, if, if, like I, I often heard for people with disabilities, you have to be this, this amazing, always f happy and always smiling angel yeah. you know rise above like, yeah yeah you're one of god's angels what, yeah. what nonsense you're just human beings and like but yeah there is pressure because i have yeah. i feel pressure from being a migrant from being a lesbian from being a woman it's like oh my god mm. yeah. and then you don't get to have a bad day either i remember when uh in stockholm i started doing that euro talk tv show you know there's a sports or a soccer show and what I didn't realize was how many people watch this. It's like, you know, 20, 30, 40,000, mostly young guys watching it. And then you go to the local shopping center and people are looking at you differently because they've seen you on this show and they start to talk to you. And, you know, somebody bumps into you and you want to go, hey, watch where you're fucking going. You know, no, <laughs> yeah, I, that's not the that. kind of person I am. Yeah. But you literally cannot do that no. because at some point some kid is going to come up to you and, you know, they're going to want to talk to you because of the person that they've seen on the TV yeah. or heard on the radio or they've seen, you know, pictures of you talking to somebody or whatever, you know. Yeah. Uh, and that is... For me, that's like this, right? It's that small because nobody fucking cares who I am anyway. But for somebody like you who was such a public figure for so long, it's an enormous burden not to be able to go into Queensworth and go, can somebody please open another till? You know, that kind of thing. <laughs> so no, like, for me, I'm, I'm always myself. Like, I, I suppose one of my, my ambitions in life is, is to be authentic. Yeah. You know, I try as much as possible to be myself at all times, you know. And, and, and sometimes, you know, I, I, feel, I feel the pressure that I, I can't be to myself and yeah. maybe not, that's not a bad thing because you know you don't want to be I just think it's not a really good thing to kind of shout at people and road rage no, no. and all that kind of stuff but, but, but it's I, nice to have the option yeah. because you know you just said that you check yourself in these situations yeah. in sort of public things you know where you could usually shake your fist at somebody that kind of thing and it would be it would be nice not for you to be able to do it more than everybody else yeah. but to do it like everybody else yeah. when you see fit and not feel that you're representing yeah. like whatever 12% or 17% of the population you know yeah. and like, like are you gonna if I'm the first lesbian you ever ever hear me 
meet. That's it. You, if you don't like me, you're never going to like another lesbian yeah, yeah. again. There's you and Pantia. That's it. Like, I know. You know God, that, the like, pressure you know, of that. We're, we're not liking any of the gays yeah. if you do and bad yeah, stuff. And it's so funny. Like, I'm just thinking, it's because we're laughing and we're in the international bar. I used to do stand-up comedy here, you know? Oh, I forgot and, to ask about that. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, no. And it's, it's, it's so... First of all, I was saying to Philip, it's so nice to be here, be here and not have my stomach in knots. Because then you're just about to go up and do five minutes of material and you're like... Five, oh, five minutes is an eternity yeah. in stand-up. How many drunk people are going to be in the audience? How many people are going to get... But I never got heckled. And I think, again, that's like the whole discussion about diversity again. When I got up on the stage, people were like, oh, wow, finally. <laughs> yeah. She's not a, it's not a man, you know, yeah. she, she's not white. And she's gay. This yeah. is amazing. This is, this is whatever comes Hear out. Her out. <laughs> whatever comes out of her mouth, I'm going to laugh. This is great. <laughs> it was just, it's, it was really funny because, like, yes, there is a certain pressure, but then at the same time, there's something very different about me, you know. And and I kind of, I've, I've got really good at using my diversity to my advantage, mm. you know. So uh, yeah, I know I loved it. I loved doing stand up. I did it for a year and a half, but then I was like, oh my god, it's just too hard. Yeah, no, it is. It's a, it's a highly pressured environment. Yeah. Have we any more questions out there as we come up to 55 odd minutes? That's pretty good. Oh my though. word, 55 odd minutes. Can you imagine putting the two of us in a room and just yeah. letting us talk? How, How are you is that going to work? Sorry, hang on a second. I'm tra a trainee psychotherapist here. How are you, Philip? I, 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 I'm so delighted you asked me. I'm brilliant. Yeah. And part of the reason I'm brilliant is because I get to, pe to talk to people like you about experiences like this. And I was talking to Pat O'Mahony today. Oh, who great has, guy. Uh, you couldn't make it up. And he's been like, for years, he's one of these guys that I looked up to ever since he had the, the crappy ponytail on, uh, on, you, or on um, Head to Toe. But yeah, he's just yeah. one of those guys who's been... And he made a brilliant documentary called Reporters at War that won do, uh, awards and that kind of thing. And he's just, like, as I say, he's kind of, you know, to, to be able to talk to somebody like that about this business is tremendous. And to be able to talk to somebody like you. But what we were talking about was storytelling. Mm. And we were talking about the difference between presenting something as being news. You know, this happened. You know, bomb went off, X amount of people were killed, that kind of thing. That doesn't tell you anything. That tells you very, very little. But if you can put me there, Reuters has this great thing, show us you're there. Tell me the detail. Tell me what it smelled like in the air when the bomb went off and when it rained afterwards. And stories like yours, personal stories, and they were the stories that not only did you bring your own stories on air, but you brought everybody else's stories on air there. And even people that you didn't disagree with, uh, you talk about the echo chamber and this kind of thing, where oh, we only really talk to people who, who, who agree with one another. But sitting down there, I've always found it remarkably disappointing that when I came for the marriage equality referendum and when I came for, to do stuff for Swedish radio for the repeal the eighth referendum, that the only person who talks to me is Ronan Mullen. Mm. And Ronan and I have always been very, very respectful in the same way that I don't agree with you, but that's not important right now. I'm going to treat you exactly the same way. And remember, you know, certain people who will remain nameless, who would be you know, on the, so the liberal side of these debates, actually getting a bit annoyed with me mm. because I was giving them a hard time. No, but, like, th but that's what, sort of what I'm there to do is to challenge their assumptions. Mm. And I'll do that for all sides, but I'll try to do it sort of in a respect way but to get back to the point I was making um, the stories that you come across in your psychotherapy it, it, like not just your own story now but the people that you meet in practice and the people that you deal with is that a sort of a surrogate for the work that you used to do in the global village are you still hearing the same stories it's just the fact that you're hearing them one-to-one -one and not sharing them with 50,000 people on a Saturday <laughs> Yeah, well, first of all, I, I'm, I'm not qualified yet to actually sit in front of a person. Yeah, but we all know you're listening No, in. no, no. <laughs> you don't listen in. It's a sacred. It's sacred. Yeah. You so know. you're on the other side of the mic yeah. now all of a sudden. No, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, like, I, it's going to take me about two years before uh, they, they'll trust me enough to yeah. put me in front of a person. You know, there's, a, there's a whole process that you have to go through. But no, there is that. I think oh, I, it makes so much sense that I'm doing this now because like on Global Village, people would come on 
and they would be so nervous and then I would talk to them and then I'd open up a little bit about my story mm. and then suddenly they'd be like, oh wow, a fellow survivor or a mm. fellow person who, who has experienced adversity and then they suddenly open up, you know, so um, like there, there's not going to be that much difference at the end of the day, but uh, but of course there's not going to be people listening. There's no microphones. Yep. There's no microphones, you know. And and I suppose the the aim here is not like in, in radio. It's obviously the aim is to try and raise awareness and I suppose help pe- people open up their minds. But here is like it's just it's really quite incredible where you're actually helping an individual you know imagine an individual you know in the wrong job in the wrong relationship having mental health problems and like really finding that things things are really bleak and then through the process of 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 you know therapy helping them find that place where hang on a second there is hope for me mm-hmm. uh, and then come to that you know uh, place where they can actually bring about change in their life when, when, at their own pace you know because you can't go in and say oh it's because you know it's Blame the parents, you know, your mother should have said this. It always happens. You know, I always find it so interesting. People come into therapy to talk about their boyfriend or their their work colleague or the fact that they hate their job. But when they come and sit in the chair, I am told, and it's always, it always comes down to mommy and daddy. Yeah. No pressure to me. I'm like, oh my God, I'm a parent. I've got two children. What issues are they going to... I know they're going to have mummy issues. That's, that's, that's for sure. That's for sure. Because they have two, you know. But yeah, so so it is similar in a way where you are, I suppose, creating a rapport and helping the person uh, open up about themselves. And, and that, that I feel, I kind of have the training for that already. Mm. I think uh, what made you such a, a sort of a, a big figure in Irish life is the fact that you were prepared to tell your own story. Do you have a regret letting out some of those details now? Uh, no, no, um, because that's the best way to actually educate people. And it's, and it's really funny because just this weekend uh, in class, we, we did a group presentation on sexuality, you know, and it's so funny. My, my group was given sexuality. I was so happy, you know, because <laughs> you had, could just use the PowerPoint you've yeah, had for the last yeah, 20 years. Yeah. Yeah. We had a choice between addiction. Uh, domestic violence and sexuality. I was so glad. Your hand went straight up, didn't it? I was like, thank God, you know, because <laughs> let's face it, addiction and, and domestic violence is, you know, heavy stuff, you know. So, so a part of the, the demonstration, uh, the, the discussion, um, I, I, we did a role play. So there was a therapist and then me. And I just opened up about one particular issue that's there. And it's very, very present for us. The fact that both my my name and my wife's name are not on both of our children's birth certificate. Yeah. And this is causing us huge stress because Xavier still doesn't have a passport she's 18 months old and I think this is ridiculous mm. you know because like we are her parents why do I have to wait till I live with her for two years to get my name mm. on, on to, to get guardianship anyway so so this is the so part of the role play I just told the, the therapist the story about the day we were going to the protest um, outside Leinster House with my son Phoenix and we had all these signs you know love is what makes a family and all the rest and and Phoenix asked me the question why are we going to the protest mom and I was like well it's because we have two mummies mm-hmm. and in Ireland if you had two mummies and a, two, a mummy and a daddy you your their names would be on a birth set and I felt the shame that I have been carrying for 45 years for mm. being gay, I could feel that shame being kind of passed, passed to him, mm. you know, and, th- and that really, I just bawled my eyes out, like, and I was, I forgot that it was, it was a role play, and I had, tw- uh, you know, 15 other uh, colleagues of mine looking at this, so this was all meant for, for educational purposes, but I just completely got lost, and I was bawling my eyes out, and afterwards, everybody, I looked at everybody, and everybody was crying their eyes out, because they realized the privilege 
that most heterosexual people have mm. that they don't nobody asks them any question you know they automatically you know, a man they can they might not even be the biological parent of the child and yet their name goes on on the birth set you know and yet because it's two women suddenly we are named some of them but and i saw it there's nothing more powerful than actually you telling your own story because you know and this is what happens you know with, with syria or you know with with all these horrendous uh, you know situations and conflicts around the world nothing helps one human being connect with another human being and when they tell their story and when you see the tears in their eyes when you see the the their voice quivering like mine is that's when people say oh my god that's that's horrible why is that happening to you i i that this, this shouldn't happen How, what can i do to help you know and they immediate responses to try and you know hug you and kind of sort things out you know so that's how i felt uh, about entering irish media it's like yes i had to tell my story over and over and over again and i'm still doing it today but ultimately it does cost me something every time i tell the story because uh, i know i'm going to be wobbling walking out of here today but people listening to this are going to be a little bit more enlightened and you know what if it helps one person open their eyes it helps one person have a little bit less hatred in their in in their heart job done you've had tremendous courage in telling it so many times and i hope you have the energy to tell it a few more times dil vikram ashigni ladies and gentlemen thank you so much and thank you for it